doctor told my husband and I, I could go at any time, and I'm still here. Well, between my heart and my kidneys, it's been pretty bad. Well, recently, uh, about three weeks ago, I had labs, and my kidney count was about, I'll say about four or five, maybe. Well, then a week ago, I had lab work again, and then Thursday, I went to the kidney doctor. My kidney function is now at 45%, and I've been able to talk to quite a few people about it. I talked to a man Friday. He, all of a sudden, he says, I see on Facebook a lot of people talking about healing and how they've been healed. And he says, there was a lady on there that talked about how her kidneys, the Lord has been working. He says, I'd like to meet her. I says, that's me. And so I got a chance to talk to him and another lady a little later about how God really does heal. He says, I never believed it. He says, I see it on Facebook. I've heard about it. He says, but you're a living testimony. And I invited him to the church. All right, so isn't that awesome because the power of testimony. We went back a couple of weeks ago. We started talking about the, the storms and the hurricanes and all that were, were coming and, and how, you know, the damage that was supposed to be and all this kind of stuff. We, uh, we, uh, we live in a crazy world, don't we? We got people trying to blow stuff up in North Korea and this whole thing back and forth, and we got storms and we got fires and we got all kind of crazy stuff. And uh, how many of you know, though, that none of this is catching God by surprise? Anybody want to just say amen with me? I also want to tell you that it's also not God's doing. He's not sending hurricanes to Houston or to Florida because he's mad with those states or wants to bring judgment. That is not that is not God. That is not how he operates. And one of the things we've been talking about, and we're going to continue to go uh, in this series on progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. And uh, if you're taking notes, I just want to encourage you to do that. And if you weren't here last uh, Sunday, we have podcasts and we have uh, some, some things through our website. You can go and watch and listen. And then also we had printed up a sheet with all of these names of God and what they mean, and also the, the verses that you can look up in Scripture. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to do that. See, God, I believe, God is so much bigger and incredible than we even give him credit for. Like, we know he created the universe, and we know he, uh, you know, created the earth and, and all of the things and the animals and all that stuff. He did all these amazing things. But I also know that God is too big for him to just show himself fully to us all at one time. <laughs> you know, I remember, some of you remember my testimony when I was younger and I was in college and, and we, we were at a conference and I went forward for prayer and God was just whacking me, like his presence was on me so hard. And it was so, I, <laughs> I couldn't stand, obviously. I couldn't stand, so I knelt down and then I was flat on the floor and God just began to pour wave after wave after wave. We, we mentioned this morning glory upon glory, right? Like God isn't interested in just glory. He wants to bring glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. Like, like we have a capacity to, 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 to uh, be filled with him more and more than we have. And so God began to pour out of me. And I remember he was touching me so hard. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I literally at one point said, God, you got to stop. You have to stop touching me. Because it was so much, and it was filling me so much, that I literally felt, this is honest to goodness, I literally felt that if he touched me one 
little bit tiny more, I would literally explode. Like, that would be it. My whole, every, all my skin and everything, it would just blow up because I couldn't take it anymore. And God says, listen, I've touched you with just the tip of my finger. And I, and I, I remember thinking that. And then I also remember this, that to contain something, sometimes we have to expand our capacity to, to, to contain it, right? Like, you know, this is probably a bad analogy, but if someone has a small stomach and they eat, they get filled with just a little, right? But if they eat more and more, what happens to their stomach? It's their growth. And pretty soon, you can eat a lot more and eat a lot more and eat a lot more. Now, for some of us, that's, a, that's not a good thing, but it is the, the fact of the matter is that the bigger something gets, the more it can contain, right? I remember back a few years ago, how many of you like soccer? You guys like soccer? Or as my friend Ollie and some others would say, football, <laughs> right? I was one of those guys growing up. I was baseball, football, basketball guy. And I always thought soccer was some weird foreign thing that, you know, whatever. Like, it just, I was never fun. I always thought, how boring. one nothing can be a score in soccer and, you know, and just running around and nothing ever happens. I always felt like it was just this really ridiculously boring sport. And I always used to make fun of it. Well, back about, I think about 10 years ago now, I was sitting in my living room. It was actually in Minnesota. I'm sitting in my living room, and I'm flipping through the channels looking for some sports, and there wasn't any of the good sports on, you know. <laughs> there wasn't football or baseball or basketball. And I, I, I bumped into soccer. And out of curiosity, I began to just watch soccer. Well, I don't know if you know much about soccer, but there's a lot more going on than just some guys running around kicking the ball. Like, there's actually really a lot going on behind the scenes. And as I began to watch it, this little thing inside of me started, started to get kind of interested. And so I started watching, you know, if you're familiar, UEFA Champions League. I started watching that. And then I started watching English Premier League soccer, which is the, you know, like the NFL of football, but soccer in England, you know. And all of a sudden I began to watch it. And I, get, I started to get such a passion for soccer because the more I watched it, the more I learned about it. And the more I learned about it, the more interesting it became. And I thought, you know, that's kind of how we are with God. Like, if we give God a chance to, to do something and k- get us kind of interested, how many of you found this to be true? When you read your Bible, that the more you read it, the more fun it is and the more you want to read your Bible, right? So, like, like, uh, like I've heard said before, like, spiritual matters, it's kind of the opposite of, of natural in this regard, that if you want to be hungry, you eat more. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. And we increase our capacity for God to pour his stuff into our lives. And so when God, you know, we talked last week about how Adam and Eve in the garden and they sinned and the planet got broken and God's relationship with Adam got broken. And so God went on a journey of revealing himself in a progressive nature. Like if someone would have sat down with me on my first day of watching soccer and just started telling me all the rules and all the intricacies and everything in and out, I'd have just been, you know, please stop. I don't understand all that. I can't. But if I, I took it a little bit at a time, pretty soon now, like I, the last few years I was coaching soccer. You know, all my kids were in soccer. I knew, every, I knew all the players and everything about it. But it didn't happen all at one time. And so... There was, for me, a progressive revelation, if you will, in the area of soccer. And God does the same thing. And we read in the Bible from, from Genesis where God reveals himself as Elohim, mighty, strong, and creative. Creative meaning he created the heavens and the earth. 
If you want to put those slides up, if you could. Elohim, mighty strong and creative on your behalf. And then God moves out of that, and he, he begins to make a covenant with Abraham. And he begins to show himself as a God who's not just creator and mighty, but he actually wants to have relationship with us and make a covenant, a commitment to, between, between man and him. Then he moved on to begin to show himself after that as the Lord will provide, a God of provision, that he's not just going to leave us on our own. He wants to take care of us and provide things that we don't have. El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Now, mind you, he doesn't do all this at one time. He took it step by step by step by step. Finally gets to Moses. When he calls Moses into the ministry, he says, I'm going to be Yahweh or Jehovah, the great I am. God hadn't revealed himself in that way up to this point. But now he says, look, I'm going to show you a new name. And it's the name I want to be known by for the rest of, rest of eternity. The great I am, Jehovah or Yahweh. Jehovah Rapha, he moves on and he says, listen, not only am I great and powerful and creative and, and the I am, but listen, I want to heal you too. I'm the Lord who heals, right? Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, victory. That God is our, he's the victorious risen Savior. Anybody say amen with me? Right? He's victorious, right? Moved on. Jehovah Makadesh, he actually wants us to be holy like he is holy. So we see uh, the blood of Jesus, uh, when he shed his blood on the cross and, and died and rose again, it was to make us holy. He begins to show himself as Jehovah Makadesh makes us holy. Jehovah Shalom, peace. And again, we talked a little bit last week about wholeness, that God wants to not only give you peace of your mind, but he wants to bring your whole body into peace. <laughs> Can I just throw this at you? If you are experiencing anxiety or depression or fear, those kind of things, I want to just pray that God would give you a revelation of Jehovah Shalom, a peace that passes understanding. Amen? And here's the great thing. God isn't playing games, you guys. He literally wants to be all these things in our lives. He wants us to grow glory upon glory upon glory, right? Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd, comes from Psalms 23 in David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The great shepherd wants to take care of us, and he, he promises to do so. And then finally, we looked at Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is here. It's his presence, the actual presence of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think this is the spot. <laughs> My brother came up to me this morning and during worship, and afterwards he says, listen, the Shekinah glory, he, he could see it right, right here, like it was almost physical and tangible, right? See, God's presence, Jehovah Shammah, he's here. And he wants to pour out his spirit on us. And so God shows himself, this was just his character. These, this is who God is, okay? But this morning I want us to move in a, the same idea but a little bit different direction. And that God doesn't want to just show us who he is. He wants to actually have relationship with us. You know, sometimes I think people think of God as this great big scary thing, you know, up in the sky, but, but he's not accessible, you know. Okay, I want to give you two things. Number one, the first principle I want is, I want two principles we want to use as we move forward today. Number one principle is this. Are you ready? That old revelation isn't good enough, okay? And what I mean by that, don't get stuck on one of the parts of this progressive revelation of who God is, Right? Because some people do that. They get stuck. <laughs> and it's easy to get stuck in an old revelation of God and live out our lives there. Remember I said last week about the person that says, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And we said, what? 
No, you haven't been a Christian for 20 years. You've been a Christian for one year, 20 times. You just stay in that same rut. And uh, I ran across some pictures. It might be hard to see over the wall here, but why don't you throw that first picture up there, would you, Aaron? Oh, man, it's hard to see. Uh, can everybody stand up? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, stand up. All right. Do you see it? If you're, if you're vertically challenged, you can actually stand on your chair if you want. That's fine. No problem. But it's a picture of this huge computer being loaded onto a plane. This, my friends, is the 1950s. And this is, are you ready? A five megabyte computer. <laughs> okay, not gigabyte, megabyte, right? So, like, your phone has like about 100 times more power in it than this thing. But this was the world's greatest computer at one time, okay? Back in, the, I think it was the late 50s, right? Five megabyte computer. Okay, next slide. Go to the next one. <laughs> okay, can you see it or not? I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Somebody grab that. Hey, will you, uh, let's get this over here. We'll just slide this off to the side. Okay, anybody kind of tell me what that is? I'll keep it flat. That, my friends, is an 8-track. An 8-track. Hey, Ed, can you keep helping me here? Can you get this off? Just put it against the wall. Would you maybe a couple guys help me with that? That is an 8-track. And it was groovy. And it was, it, was, it was hip and cool, right? Yeah, just up against the wall if you would. Can somebody help? Jerry, want to help? Okay. 8-track. How many of you had 8-tracks in your car? Anybody? How many of you thought you were cool when you had an 8-track in your car, right? <laughs> well... We've moved on a little bit. And also, I thought it would be interesting to note, you'll notice the radio, it just has AM on it. I don't know if you know the picture there. So just AM, right? Okay, so go ahead. Next slide. Whoa. Some of you probably remember when you got your first television, right? <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, you had to actually walk up to it and turn the knob. And there was like three channels or something like that, Right? And it's like, I love the look on her face, like, wait, go back, go back, go back. I love the look on her face, like, she's so fast. Oh, it's a TV, you know. And they had moved from radio to television, right? And then you had the antennas. And how many of you put the tinfoil on the antennas? You guys ever do that? Okay, good. I'm not alone, right? Right. Did it ever work, though? I mean, I don't know. If that actually, but it looked cool, you know. And then you'd have one person stand there like this, like, hey, don't move. <laughs> All right, so go to the next one. And I thought this one was funny. This, is, uh, this actually is a is Kentucky back in the 50s, and it's in school, it's a gun safety class. <laughs> yeah, Jody, right? You guys had gun safety when she was in the elementary school, right? Could you imagine? Okay, son, take your shotgun to school. <laughs> like, I don't even know things have changed just a little bit, right? So aren't you glad we're not living on those kind of things anymore? Anybody glad for iPads and iPods and remote controls and all that kind of stuff, right? be kind of silly, wouldn't it, to live with those kind of devices and that kind of technology? Wouldn't it be silly to live like that? See, we move along. And so here's the thing. I really feel like the first principle is this, that don't live and stay in past revelation. Because I will say this, any of you that are older that lived through some of that, it was really cool when it first came out. I mean, come on, right? But, see, the Bible said that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he deals with past, present, and future. And yet some people, and it's easy, it's a temptation, they believe that God is the same yesterday, 
and yesterday and yesterday. <laughs> like, like they don't really move on from the, the, the thing in Revelation. So I want to encourage you with that, that old revelation isn't good enough. Principle number two. Principle number two, how I handle my past and present revelations sets me up for future revelation. All right, so in other words, I believe that God, even when we, when we, when we talk about all these different characteristics of God, he didn't dump it all on him at one time. He took him on a journey. But how many of you know you have to be ready, willing, and able for the next revelation that God brings? And I really believe this is true. Like how we take care of what God gives us. We, we talk about it in terms of stewardship. A lot of times we talk about stewardship in terms of money. Like how am I handling God's money? And am I a, a giver and a tither and all those kind of things? But it's not strictly for money. It also has to do with revelation. Just by way of a question, how many of you have ever received a prophetic word about your life? Okay, most of us, right? That somebody has spoken a prophecy over us, and again, prophecy is simply one person hearing the voice of God and declaring his goodness over you uh, in some area of our life. And so, (sighs) delay in seeing those things happen in our life can oftentimes be a test. Okay? Delay oftentimes is a test. Because I feel like like in, there's two or three parables that Jesus tells in the New Testament where, where he says, listen, the, the owner or the rich person gives some things to the people that work for him. Like, so the talents, he gives, you know, five, three, and one. He also gives the orchards and the vineyards to, to some workers. And he says, listen, and in each one of those, he says, here's some stuff. Now I'm going to go away. Isn't that interesting? Like, in the parables, the father goes away. He gives some stuff, and then he goes away. And the, the obvious inference is that he expects us to do something with what he's given us. And I believe that so often in Christianity, we're, we're kind of, don't take this the wrong way, I'll speak to myself. Sometimes we just kind of get fat and lazy and content. And we just keep looking for ease. You know, you look at the parable of the talents. Jesus gives his three workers, five, three, and one, right? And he goes away for, seems like a long time. He comes back. The guy who made five said, here, master, I took your five. I did something with them. Now I have ten, and <laughs> I doubled it. Same guy with three. I made three, no, six, and then the, but the guy with one, isn't this interesting? The guy with one says, I stuck it in the ground, and I just did nothing with it. I just basically stuck it in the ground and saved it. And of the three, he's the only one that the master comes back and said, you wicked, lazy servant. Why? Because when God gives us something, whether it's finances or whether it's giftings that, you know, spiritual gifts or whether it's revelation of certain prophecies and things, he expects us to do something with it. In other words, I believe that our present and past revelations, what I'm doing with them and how I'm stewarding them. You know, if God's given you a promise, if he's given you a word, you just know it's from God, what are you doing with it? <laughs> I can't give you all the details, but, but um, a couple, well, two weeks ago, uh, there's some things that God is doing in my life, and he's, it looks like he's bringing me into a new area that I haven't really been before. And how you know when you go to a new area and a new thing with God, it's a little, it's a little scary sometimes, right? 
Like, oh, I've never done this before. And God's like, it's okay, I'm with you. And I felt like God put in my spirit this calling to, to do something. And so I've been praying about it, and I've been dwelling on it, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking the revelation, and I'm stewarding it. And so as I'm doing this, I was literally just walking. I had to go to Walmart to get something. And as I'm walking into Walmart, the thought in my mind had been for that whole day is, if you're calling me to this thing, then the question that I ask myself is, what am I doing about it? Right? What am I doing about it? I have to start taking some tangible steps to move in that direction. (laughs) It's the funniest thing. I'm walking in Walmart, and I'm not one of these old guys that mumbles to himself, you know, but I do pray under my breath quite a bit, right? So I'm walking through Walmart, and under my breath, I'm like, God, what? Okay, what do you want me to do about this? And I walk, and two Walmart employees are walking by me, and the one says to the other one, right as they pass me, the one guy says to the other guy, well, what are you doing about it? I swear to you. I'm like, are you talking to me? <laughs> nope. They were gone. They were already down the aisle. I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. You're talking to me. What am I doing about it, right? I don't even think that's a pretty clear sign from God that I'm on the right track, right? And I believe that with progressive revelation, I believe this is true, that God isn't content with how much you know him. He's not content with how much I know him. Am I living in the 50s or am I moving on into new places and new revelations of who God is, right? And so those are the first two principles. Number one, old revelation isn't good enough. And number two, how I'm handling the revelations I've already received, if I do it well, it sets me up for future revelation. In a sense, God is building you. He's building you into a foundation. I believe this so strongly. That God is actually building a foundation. When we handle the revelation well, when we move on in him, it's actually building character. So sometimes we get into difficult situations, and what's the one thing we always do? We pray to get out of the situation, don't we? How many of you are in a a rough pickle right now? There's some things going on. You're like, oh, man, this is not fun. Okay, many of you. I want to just challenge you with something. Use it well. We talked previously about, you know, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. If you're in a difficult thing and there's pain or there's difficulties or there's trials, the Bible specifically says it's to grow you up, to build you up. And so here's my thing. You know, if we need reprieve and if there's things that, are, you know, we want to go ahead and pray into it, but don't waste it. Say, God, instead of me asking you why are you doing this, 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 and this, I'm going to pray, like we've said. How do you want to use this to make me stronger? How do you want to use this to build my foundation more secure? What are you doing in my life? You see what I'm saying? Get your little scrawny Y finger out of God's face. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we want to go, why, God? Why did this bad thing happen, right? I would say just pocket that, put it back in your holster, (laughs) and get two hands out and say, okay, God, I'm your servant. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. What are you doing in this? And what revelation are you trying to bring in me? Because we believe that God is good all the time. There's never one moment in your life where he's not good. Now, there are times we don't understand how things are going and what's going on, but maybe those situations and those times are to build our character 
Because if it's true, God's trying to build, the New Testament even talks about this, that we are this foundation with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. Like, he's actually building us into something. And if you're going to build something great, how many of you know you need a good foundation, right? And I would just encourage you with your revelation, say, God, what are you doing in this? And so, I, I, I really felt strongly about this week that these were God's characters. This is his characteristics. But, you know, how many of you knowing something about God isn't the same as knowing God, right? Like we can put all this knowledge in our head. We can have all the verses. We can do all those things. But how many of you know God is a lot less interested in how much you know than in how much you know, right? Like he's a God who really wants relationship with us. If you, I want you to take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter 2. We, we keep going back to the garden all the time in these last few weeks, but I really believe there's something to be found here. Genesis chapter 2. And it's the verse, chapter 7, where it talks about how God creates man. Now listen to this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says this. Then the, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you, but dirt at the ground... It's kind of amazing. God reaches down and grabs some dirt and starts putting Adam together. And Adam, actually, the, the Hebrew for Adam is, is Adama, which literally means dirt or dust, right? So Adam actually means dirt. Like God named, oh, what's that, dirt? Well, that's, that's your name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what I made you from. But isn't it interesting that this man, us, is a mystical union between the natural you know, dirt, and the supernatural. Like, we are this mystical union but, but that God says, listen, I'm going to take natural things and I'm going to breathe literally supernatural life into it. And I, I was reading that this week and I thought, man, God, that is exactly what you still want to do, isn't it? You still want to take the natural things of us and the, the things that we think are just ordinary and just breathe supernatural life into them. Adama, dust, God breathes in, makes it into this supernatural breath of God. And if you will, if you think of it in this way, in this very first moment, God takes the natural and collides with the supernatural. It literally is this collision of earth and heaven together. And isn't it powerful? We talk about this all the time, that we pray. Jesus taught us to pray. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. It's that same collision, isn't it, of the supernatural and the heavenly, boom, hitting earth and hitting mankind and hitting, hitting, uh, hitting the dust of who we are. Just take your finger and poke the person next to you and say, you're, you're dust, <laughs> but you're supernatural dust, amen? You're supernatural. This isn't just this ordinary thing. We have to get it into our heads that God, from the very beginning, made this connection of earth to heaven and the natural with the supernatural. Hmm. In a sense, you know, when God created Adam and Eve, what did he say about him? He's talking to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're having a conversation. He says, let's make man in what? Our image. 
So I'm not here to tell you that you're gods today, but you have God in you. You certainly have God in you. And I want you to remember that. Everybody just put a, you know how you say, put a pin in that? You have God in you. You do, okay? So we'll get to the verse in a second. So then, obviously, Adam and Eve sin in the garden, and the connection of the supernatural between heaven and earth is broken, isn't it? I, every time I read the Genesis story, I, I just get, there's a little sadness that comes in my heart, like, Oh, we could have had it so much better than this, right? But you see, when man sinned, it broke not only the planet, but it also broke the relationship between God and man. And again, I'm going <laughs> to bum you out this morning, but <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, let's read about that, that disconnect, all right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 says, says, Then the Lord God said, verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us, speaking of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever in a sinful fallen state, which would basically recreate Lucifer again. Right? Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. You talk about depressing. God takes the dirt and the ground and breathes supernatural life into the nostrils. Man comes, so heaven and earth come together. And now it gets broken. And now man's assignment is to work the dirt from which he was created. I don't know about you, but Adam must have worked, you know, I don't know. He lived a long time, so a couple, several hundred years or whatever it was. Every time he's towing the soil, could you imagine him going, man, I could have had, I had so much better than this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had it good, man, in the garden. It was awesome. I, and I know God is love and he helps people move on, but man, I think that would have been tough, wouldn't it? Working with the very stuff that you were created from. And God says you're going to have to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, so he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So we find man is separated from God, the very thing that gives him life. And I think you probably know this to be true, and I know I do too. Separation from God never works. How many of you ever had a time in your life where you broke relationship with God? You know, I think sometimes there's some Christians that turn their back on God and they go back to whatever. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> Stupid question, right? Because it never bodes well for mankind to be separated from God. It just never works. Now, the enemy's always enticing you. Ooh, come and drink or come and do drugs or come and have sex and, you know, do all these things. And, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's fun. Bible says sin for a season is fun, you know. But I don't even know that that separation of sin and that disconnect with God puts you in a place of just eventual misery, isn't it? <laughs> and yet God is always looking to reconnect with you. He's always wanting to bring you back. Hmm. And we really need our union with God, don't we? Don't we just need that union? We need that connection, right? And so mankind... 
starts doing his thing, and we, uh, we find that, again, God is progressive in his revelation. He's trying to reveal himself to man, but he's not just giving him good words and character. He actually wants to, to have this relationship again, and so he knows it's broken, and so through mankind, after Adam, you know, Cain and Abel, his sons, we find that they build an altar. They make a sacrifice. And we find this through several characters in the early Old Testament. We find Cain and Abel make a sacrifice, and they, they, uh, they bring an, an animal, and they kill it. And basically, an altar is this. It's a bunch of rocks put up together, and then some wood or something on top, and they take an animal, and they would cut it, and the blood, and then they would burn it. And that was a sacrifice. And that was a place of consecration or, or an, an attempt at connection with God and worship of God. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty elementary basic stuff, isn't it? Like, God wants to connect with man, but the first step after getting out of the garden, man begins to build an altar and kill stuff and burn stuff on a bunch of rocks. I don't know about you, but that doesn't really sound like that much fun. Does that, does that sound fun to you guys? <laughs> like, it just doesn't sound like that much fun. But, but there was a sense that mankind was trying to, and God and man were trying to get connected again. And so we find they build altars. And after God does some great things in different of their lives, Abraham built altars. Uh, Noah, in Genesis 8, he builds an altar. Abraham builds an altar in, in Genesis 12. Isaac, his son, builds an altar in Genesis 26. Genesis 35, Jacob builds an altar, right? So we find that this is kind of the way that mankind is starting to get back in their connection with God. And God's good with it because, you know, he showed him. But <laughs> I don't even know, he didn't want mankind building altars from now till eternity. In fact, in this progressive revelation, the altar actually has a great place because we understand that a, a sacrifice has to be made for sin, right, on the altar. And, of course, it is a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do on the cross for all of eternity, right? So we're working on this journey for that. And then the children of Israel, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these forefathers, they're chosen by God. God chooses Abraham, says, you're going to be my people. You're going to be special out of all the nations of the earth, Right? They move ahead. They finally end up in Egypt. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And Moses being called to be a deliverer after the children of Israel are in bondage for 430 years. 430 years. Just say that with me. 430 years. Do you realize that's almost twice as old as the United States? Right? Almost. I mean, can you imagine? That is a long time to be in slavery. But God sends Moses, and he ends, up, he ends up calling him to do something. And just so we're clear, between them building altars in Genesis and being in bondage in Egypt, we never hear of one altar being built. We never hear of one revelation. We never hear of one, uh, you know, prophet speaking or anything like that. There's nothing. In a sense, there's 400 years of silence until Moses comes on the scene, until God calls Moses. You ever feel like things aren't moving along the way you want them to move along? You ever have that feeling? Right? I wanted to just encourage you with this. 
the Bible is very clear that God knew exactly where the Israelites were. Okay? It wasn't fun for them, but God knew where they were, and he knew what he was going to do. Amen? So in a sense, it, the story is to trust God even in our most difficult situations, right? And so God, you know, the altars, you know, they've been building altars, and now we get to God calling Moses. And Moses, of course, we talked about a few weeks ago how Moses comes and the plagues of Egypt, you know, God uses him to, to, to bring destruction on the nation of, of Egypt until finally they give up the children of Israel and they let them go. And so we pick up the story where the children of Israel are now free. They're in the wilderness and they're moving into, uh, you know, the intent is to go back to the promised land, to the nation of where we look at Israel, that, that area. God wants to bring them back to that. <laughs> Jump with me to Exodus chapter 19, if you would. (laughs) Exodus 19, God says this, that Moses went up to God on the mountain there, and the Lord called him to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possessions. That means special treasure. Among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Now, Oftentimes we read the Bible and we just kind of, you know, that's nice, and we just move right through it. But I want to just remind you something. We're talking about 400 years, 430 years of slavery, of people who have been in bondage. Now, mind you, let me just, (laughs) slavery is really hard. There didn't a day go by that they weren't whipped and beaten. If you were to take off all the shirts of the men, probably some of them women too, and took off and looked at their backs, it would have just been riddled with, with whippings and lashings. Because the Egyptians were, were vile, the Bible says, taskmasters. They were literally vile. Could you imagine? Just every day, and all of your identity is in how many bricks you make. Because they use them to build bricks to build the thing. Can you imagine? So, <laughs> 400 years, grandpa to grandsons and everything all down the line, 430 years, your identity is how many bricks did you make today? That's pretty depressing, isn't it? And if you failed, then you got whipped and you got beaten. And slaves were nothing. Egyptians could do anything to them. So chances are real good the women were, were being violated and the children were being abused and, and the whips and the lashes. I mean, it was a horrible thing. 430 years, that's all they knew. You think you get beaten down. (laughs) Man, could you imagine living like that? So God sets them free from Egypt, and he calls them out. He gets them out into the wilderness, and he gets Moses up on the mountain, and he says, listen, I want you to tell them something. Let's read it again. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession, my special treasure. Do you think any of them felt like special treasures? 
God had ignored them for 430 years. They hadn't had a prophet. They hadn't had any revelation. And now God says, listen, tell them, you're my special people. I got something awesome for you. And not only that, but I've got something awesome for you to do. You're going to be to me a kingdom of priests. And again, remember, they lived in Egypt. They didn't have synagogues. They didn't have little temples for themselves. They probably only knew the gods of Egypt. And the gods of Egypt were were wicked and capricious and, and, and evil. And, 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 and uh, the priests, you know, can imagine the, all the prostitution and all the, the killing and the you know, human sacrifice and the whole thing. So God says, listen, you're going to be my special people and you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And I'm wondering in their mind if they're going, priests, really? Because <laughs> all I know is Egyptian priests and they're not very nice. They're really mean. And the Egyptian gods are really mean, you know. You are to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. I want to propose to you three things this morning. Number one is this, that God wants to give them something new. He took a little delay on the 430 years, but now he's bringing back revelation. He's beginning to show them. And the number one thing, he says, listen, verse 4, remember what you have seen and experienced. Now, Again, it's easy for us because we have the Bible that we read a bunch of times and we heard the stories, but they're in Egypt. They're in slavery. They've forgotten who God is. They've forgotten. And all of a sudden, God shows up on a scene and says, I love you. And here, plague after plague after plague hits the Egyptians, and they see with their own eyes. In fact, I think it's after the second plague, God actually sets them apart. So the rest of Egypt is getting the boils and the gnats and the locusts and all these horrible things. But the children of Israel and their crops and their, their animals are protected. Can you even imagine how awesome that would have been? Like you're over here. Like let's say this is the line between Goshen, where the Israelites lived, and the rest of the Egyptians. So if you're on this side, let's just pretend for a second. We're all the, the Hebrews. We're the Israelites. And the hail comes. I mean, destroying all the crop and hitting everything. Only over us there's like an umbrella. No hail. No boils. No gnats. And over there, it's destruction. Animals are killed and the locusts come and eat everything up. And as God just puts a holy protection around his people. Can you even imagine how awesome that would be? And so the first thing God says, listen, I want you to have a new perspective. Number one, new perspective. I want you to remember what you have seen and experienced. I would just propose that most of us have a pretty short memory when it comes to God. We do. One of the things that I find myself in, in when I get into a situation, and if it's difficult or, or okay, I'll give you an example. The church, you know, we're still struggling financially. We, we, need, we need some more finances. We really do. We're in a tough spot. And the circumstance itself would be easy for the leadership and I, you know, the, the deacons and Kathy and Andrew and I, and, and, and just, you know, it would be really easy for us just to, to really, you know, oh, man, come on, God, you know. But you know what? I believe that God wants us to remember what he's done. You know, I, I, I've told you the story about how we were counting, this was my other church, we were counting the money and the offering when we would count it it would come up more every time we recounted it. So we would count it, get to a certain amount, 
we'd say, count it again just to double check. And the second time, it would be more. And then we say, oh, wow, okay, double check that, count it again and double check. And it went up and up and up and up and up. And that was, again, we were in a church that was, we were in a tight spot financially. And we had this miracle of God just increase, increase, increase. You know, we've had miracles here where God, you know, we've been in a tough week and all of a sudden we're like, God, we, we need you to do something. And a check will just show up. Somebody will just sell something or some stock or whatever, and the money will just show up. And I, and I think it's important that we go back and we remember, hey, God, you're good. Yeah, I'm in a tight pickle right now, but I'm going to celebrate who, you, who I was and how, what you did for me. I think it's important, too, to remember even from who we were in our past, our sinful past. You know, I think it's important that we remember not to dwell on the sin, but remember what God has brought us out of. You know, I encourage testimonies, right? I encourage our, our friend this morning to, to give her testimony. Why? Because it encourages people to say, listen, this is, I was at 4% of my kidneys, and now I'm at 45. What does that say? God, you're good, and you're a healer, and you're bringing this thing along, and it's not natural, it's supernatural, right? So God wants us to have this new perspective. He wants the Israelites to have this new perspective of saying, listen, you may have had a rough go, but I brought you out of the ten plagues of Egypt. I put a fire before you by day, uh, by night and a cloud by day, and I'm leading you. And, and if you want food, guess what? I'm going to just put out a little bread breakfast right out here, manna, all over the ground every morning, right? And yet sometimes we have such a short memory, don't we? I would encourage you this. If you're in a difficult spot, use it now as a springboard into thanksgiving and praise. Say, God, you know what? I'm not going to dwell on what's not happening. I'm going to go back and remember the good things you have done for me and the miracles I have seen and the power you have brought to my life. Amen? Anybody say amen with me? Remember past revelations. Number two, he says in, uh, he says in verse uh, five, he says, you shall be my people my possession, my special treasure above all the nations. And again, they didn't feel very special. But God was saying, listen, I'm going to give you a new perspective. I'm going to give you a new identity. You're not slaves anymore. You're my chosen people. When I was a kid, <laughs> and I actually do this with my kids now, but my, uh, my dad used to do a thing with me when I was a kid. And he would say this. He would tuck him in at night to go to bed, and he would say, he would say, he would say, Steve, I want you to know, let's say I was 10 years old. He would say, if I lined up all the 10-year-olds in the whole world, and I had them in a big, long line, I'd go down the line and go, no, 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 until I got to you and say, that's the one I want. I want that one. <laughs> and I would choose you, right? And I remember, you remember doing this? So, my, my father would say, listen, you're special above everybody else. And that's what God is doing with them. He says, listen, your identity has been a slave, but listen, out of all the nations of the world, I'm choosing you. And I, I believe in so much, so many ways that we are the new Israel. That God is actually saying to us, listen, out of all the Paulas in the world, if I line them all up, I'm picking you. Of all the Dons in the world, I lined them all up, and I had a choice. I'd pick you, Don. You're my special one. You're my treasure. And I believe this, that God is just big enough that we can all be his special treasure, his number one. Amen? And he says to them, listen, 
I pick you. And again, Israel do nothing but slavery for 430 years without a day off, mind you. They didn't even get a day off. It was slavery, perpetual, right? And God says, listen, all that's behind you now. I don't want to just show you my power, you know, the plagues and all that. He says, I want to show you that you and I are going to be in relationship. You're my special one. Huh. New perspective, new identity. And then the third one is the new mission. Isn't that interesting? And you shall be to me, verse 6, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Can I ask you a question? I know we don't do priests too much. I know the Catholic Church has priests and different denominations and stuff. But the word priest actually is pretty basic. A priest is one who connects people to God. I mean, that's basically it, right? It helps people get connected with God. In the Old Testament, you know, we're going to see, we've seen altars and that kind of stuff, and that's been individuals. But now, and actually next week we're going to look at this, we're going to look at the temple and the tabernacle and actually what that means in the Old Testament and to the New Testament. But the priests who, who functioned in the tabernacle and in the, in the temple, they were, they were special, they were chosen by God. But he says, listen, I don't want to just have a few priests I want to have a a nation of priests. I want a kingdom of priests. And I love that. One of the things that I do as a a pastor is I, you know, when people say, you know, we have volunteers in the nursery or volunteers in preschool or volunteers with offering and ushers. mm -mm. You'll notice I never say that word. You know what I say? We have ministers in the nursery. We have ministers in preschool. We have ministers who do the ushers and those kind of things. Why? Because we're all priests. We all are called to connect people with God, right? His, the priest's mission was to show the whole world what God looks like. And then he says this, of all the nations, he says, if you guys will do this, in other words, if you'll get a good perspective, if you'll embrace your new identity as my chosen people, and if you'll get a new mission and a purpose of being priests, holy priests. He says, listen, the whole earth is going to want what you have. And isn't that really true? Like, again, back to, back to uh, the testimony this morning. You know, she said this. She said, people have noticed a difference, right? That's what she said. People have noticed a difference. What? Because God healed her and is healing her, and God is putting his life in her. And when God's life is in us, she's a priest, She's a priest to say, listen, this is what it looks like when God touches you, (laughs) right? This is what it looks like when supernatural power and the collision of heaven and earth come together, the dust of man and the supernatural breath of God. That's what it looks like. Hmm. In essence, I believe that God is offering them their union with him back again. And isn't that just encouraging? Like even if you go through seasons where it feels like you're far from God, God is always calling you, and he's always saying, listen, I want you to have new perspective, new identity, and a new mission. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? I got a whole lot more I want to preach, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to save this for next week. Next week, I want to just encourage you with this one thing. I've been doing some studying on the temple and on the tabernacle, and how that's the next revelation that God brings to his people. 
So this coming out of Egypt thing, now God is going to give them the tabernacle and what that means and what it represents and how it actually sets us up for who Jesus is and what he wants us to be as his chosen kingdom of priests, if you will. Amen. Why don't you put your hand on your heart this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today that you are a God of progressive revelation. Father, this morning we thank you that even in times of of confusion or uh, not understanding, God, that you desire for us to have more revelation of your goodness, of your love. And God, that you have a new an identity for us as your chosen special ones. Hallelujah. I believe there's some people here this morning that God is actually speaking to you about that. And the devil's been trying to tell you that because of your past, because of some choices you've made or some things that you've lived in, that the, the enemy is trying to tell you a lie that you're not special, that you're not really chosen, and that, and that all, you just have to pretend to be one of these Christians. You just have to pretend to be one of his special chosen ones so you look like you fit in. And I just want to tell you right now, I'm going to break that lie off of you, that you are not one, an orphan. You are not one that is separated from God. You are his chosen one. If he lined up everybody that was similar to you, he, he would choose you. He would choose you. Hallelujah. Just put your hand on your heart and say, God, you choose me. You choose me. Holy Spirit, just do that deep work in people right now. That you're his possession. You may feel like a slave in Egypt and, and everything has gone wrong in your life, but God now is calling to you just like he did with the Israelites. He's taking you out of slavery. He's taking you out of bondage. And he's saying, you don't have to live in, these, in, the, in the vile lies of the enemy anymore. You are my special one. I choose you. I choose you. Hallelujah. I believe God is also speaking to some people this morning about being priests. And you don't feel adequate to be a priest, you know, like, like a pastor or an apostle or evangelist, teacher, whatever. You don't feel worthy for that. But God is telling you right now, you are my priest. You are my chosen one. I want to use you so the world. Hallelujah. If that's your prayer today, just everybody close your eyes. If that's your prayer, you say, God, I want to show to the world what it's like to be in relationship with you. I want to, I want to be a, a priest, if you will, a part of the kingdom of priests so the whole world can see what you are and who you are and what you're like. And I, if, if that's you, just raise your hand, almost like you're, you're, you're saying yes to God. <laughs> just saying, yes, God, uh, take me. I, I'm, I'm okay. I, I want this mission. <laughs> I receive this mission. I accept this mission to be a priest, one who shows the world what God is really like. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I bless your people today. I thank you, God, that you're speaking to us about this progressive 
revelation, God, that we're not going to get stuck in the past. We're going to keep moving on. So I speak revelation over your people, even today, this week, that they will have a greater sense of remembering the past and what you have brought them out of and your power and your prophecies that you've done. Lord, that you're going to speak to us in increasing measure about our identity in you and that you're going to allow us again to have greater revelation in being your priest and kingdom of priests in this world today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you are priests. You are chosen. You are special. And God has stuff for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Be blessed this week. If you are new to Epicenter and, you, and you're going to be a part of the luncheon, we encourage you to, to, uh, to come to the back. It's in the commons right back here. So new to Epicenter people, come on back and we'll have lunch together. Amen. Taking us higher